Hey, Mike, where'd you get these endless summer movie tickets from? Whoa, I love those. That's from my endless summer box set. Ooh, where'd you get that from? The link is in the show notes, baby. Hey, everybody, welcome to the Quivercast. You go left, I go right. Man, this wave is out of sight. Going surfing. Going surfing. Going surfing with friends. Hello, everyone. Back with the Quivercast today. Pretty stoked. We have Craig Coleman, who I remember like 80s, legit pro surfer. How are you, Craig? Good morning. Doing great. Thank you from uh, Mendocino, California. Yes. How yeah. is Mendocino? Well, it's a world away from where you are and yeah. most places. Um, we had that storm and a number of them and we did pretty well. We were without power for a couple of days, had a generator running a few things and, you know, trees down, wires down, 20 foot surf, wow. wild and woolly like it should be. It's, it's a great, great outdoors. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about Mendocino real quick yeah. since we're there. Is it like pure wilderness? Is it like the great outdoors environment? <laughs> it's pretty heavy. Um, you know, I've been, I, I was just thinking it's my 27th winter up here. Okay. It's much different for me now at this stage of life than it was earlier, but I'd like to get there later on. But it is, I mean, small towns, uh, yeah. big trees, little bridges, big rivers rugged geology really old and raw super exposed so you know if it's four foot down there it's 25 feet up here wow well the lost coast i could see it probably from most places uh with ocean view and that is true wilderness but yeah you could get lost and and die back in the forest here all the time anytime you want (laughs) how many hours from san francisco it's pretty close though right Three hours to the Golden Gate Bridge if you're driving pretty good. Okay. It's a destination, weekend destination for like town folks? Yeah, my business that I run is based off that. So yeah, the Greater Bay Area, three hours, very romantic, beautiful, a lot of bed and breakfasts and inns, majestic landscape and pretty profound and beautiful. So do we need to go backwards to get how you (laughs) got there today or how do you want to do that? No, I want you to tell me, but yeah, I probably started... Start at the beginning is pretty fun and another form of beauty and majesty. So, yeah. Malibu, California is where you started surfing, right? Yeah, to be exact, Point Doom. Born in Santa Monica, St. John's Hospital. My dad was a children's dentist. Okay. Just built a house on what's wildlife, which is there's a big circle. Johnny Carson used to live there, not right when we moved, but my dad built a house and the beach trail went through our property. So the gate with the, these giant locks and everybody had a key around their neck. And there's a thing called the boathouse right at the end of that trail, right on the beach. And we had this huge padlock. I remember my baby crib was in there and all these old boards and mats and belly boards, etc. So yeah, point doom, perfect little right hand point breaks, light offshore, sunny, amazing culture and community and yeah golden years so do you remember the time you started surfing like how old were you well you know back then it wasn't just a surfboard it was yeah uh, skimboards it was mats it it was these 
styrofoam, like cooler top little things. So it was just playing on the sand and I wasn't really a good swimmer until who knows, probably up towards 10, 11. Um, okay. But I remember my mom out there on a raft. It, it was called the gully and this very gentle little right. And then the whitewater would roll in. Okay. And we'd call it whitewater. So yeah, I progressed from just standing on the shore on what have you, a little board or raft and with yeah. letting the whitewater lift me up and then get slid around. And then uh, eventually started catching whitewater and, you know, body surfing. And then, uh, yeah, then going venturing out to Middle Reef, it was called. Okay. With a handful of buddies, uh, a great cast of characters. You know, it's the kind of place where there were fields everywhere and eucalyptus trees. And, you know, I, I don't think I ever saw my parents unless it was dinner time or yeah. at the beach together, mm -hmm. riding bikes everywhere and skateboarding, dogs running around barefoot all the time, yeah. uh, bows and arrows and <laughs> you name it, man. Amazing. So pretty good. But I tell people everything after that gets to be a little harder. Was it a crew of you guys surfing together? I always had this mix of friends and there were some non-surfers. Okay. But definitely there was, you know, the handful of us that, that surfed and skated. And one of them, Jeff Eisen, and mm -hmm. he lived up the block from me. And he was one of my best buddies. Another one, Chris Louie. Our older brothers, everybody, you know, like we were the youngest, I mm -hmm. think, of of the siblings in those families. And our older brothers... My dad surfed, and so we had guidance as well as we were taught hierarchy, respect uh, for okay. elders, and what to do and what not to do. Uh, yeah. You know, like, no way was I paddling to the outer reef. Yes. No, no way was I dropping in on somebody. First thing I learned from my dad was fall off your board, put your hand up. Yeah. The come up. You. Yeah, come up. You know, when you know where your board is. Yeah. So, yeah, Jeff Eisen, Chris Louie. And then the older guys we'd watch, Jojo Perrin and these Ballard brothers, uh, twin fans just doing crazy things back in the day. So a lot of just sitting on the beach watching people as well and soaking it all in. Yeah, and everybody went on to do their separate thing in life. Jeff's now in the Philippines, married a gal from there, and you know, has a wave out front. And yeah, really great little, great little group. And, you know, lots of... Uh, not all perfect, you know, Malibu, that area in the 60s, 70s. Of course, there was a lot going on. What do you said a lot going on? Exactly. Like, <laughs> I'm thinking hippie communes. I'm thinking things like that. What do you mean? Yeah, well, so I was I was young. I moved from there when I was 13, but right. I didn't really know what was going on so much. And I didn't really want to because I just, just I was scared and... <laughs> intimidated and that stuff, you know, of course I had the beers here and there and would drink with people and I knew weed was going on and, you know, I attempted that at like 12 and stuff, but it was just like, whoa, I felt out of body and hyper and nervous. And okay. I'd stayed away from parties and <laughs> you're just young. You're too young. I was, yeah. As a kid, I couldn't drive. I didn't, yeah. you know, my brother was five years older than me and my sister four. So they didn't want to drag me along. Like, forget that. Right. Right. Yeah, I had everything I wanted, right? Run down to the beach, right over my friend's house. Yeah, hang yeah. out and surf, basically. Yeah, pretty much. Where some others might have been tempted more by by that. I, I just didn't feel comfortable. So at 13, you move away. Yeah. So, 
I, I think of the trauma in my life, and I think that might be one of them. Um, really? Okay. In a sense, I mean, yeah, you know, I get it. That's a broad word. And look, those years also, like I've always had this unsatisfactoriness uh, in a sense, as good as things were or have been or are. I, I just crave for, I don't know, more, um, not like, well, let's see. I don't know. There, there was just a little bit of angst and anybody who knows me from back then or from now can probably see that and sense it. And it didn't always come out in the best way. Not like I was in heaven and perfect and everything was amazing because yeah, I've always like, okay, what's it all about? So we moved to Cambria. I didn't have a choice in that. I was 13, mm-hmm. four hours North, left my friends, left my childhood home, left my perfect waves and warm water and this and that. And I had an Afro and Puka shell necklace. And, <laughs> you know, it's like Cambria. So do you know Cambria? I bet. I, yes. Okay. Cayucas, Cambria, 30 minutes yeah. north of San Luis Obispo. Right. I think we moved in June. School year had ended, like packed up this big truck. Did take a buddy, Jeff Eisen, up with me on the move, which was cool. Okay. Skateboards. You know, we made all our own decks back in the day. And I, wow. I forget what the wheels were then. Not clay anymore, but super surfers or something. Um, yeah. Yeah. My parents found this house, you know, trees all around and yeah. Shocking dude. I, I can feel it. <laughs> right really? Now. Well, yeah. I, my friend went up for a week or two and then it was like, Hey, see ya going back to point doom. And yeah. there I was, I knew nobody. I couldn't drive and the beach wasn't right in front of the house. Oh yeah. Rocks, it. cold water, full wetsuit. Intimidating. Yeah, I didn't surf. I don't think I might have surfed once um, from 13 to 16. Oh, really? Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So it became. I see the. I see what you're talking about now. Yeah. So entered eighth grade, got stuffed in trash cans. I wouldn't really say I got beat up or hazed or, but definitely these people were, you know, like kind of aggy, FFA, just never seen a young surfer. There were a few older guys around, mm-hmm. which I hadn't met yet, but. My brother was gone. My sister was gone. It was just my parents and I. Um, okay. My skateboard, all the roads around there, very quiet neighborhood. My mini bike and my dogs became yeah. my okay. backbone and kept me tethered. And, and sports. I loved basketball. And eventually those guys who didn't accept me at first became my good buddies. They saw, okay, this guy can shoot some hoop and he can run fast. And I was this little scrawny dude, mm-hmm. big, big afro you know, you stayed with the Afro. That's good. Well, well, I had this frizzy, crazy long hair when I was yeah. young. And then when I cut it, it just friggin' poofed up, dude. Okay. So, okay. of course, guess who became my heroes down the road? Buttons and Bert. Yeah, of course. But, I was say buttons. Yeah. <laughs> Looking back, maybe it saved me from something down the road in Malibu or Hollywood yeah. or who knows. I, you know, in hindsight, I can say, well, it's one of the mm-hmm. best things ever for me into who I am now and yeah. brought me to relationships and a group of people down there that we can get to. Um, Let's dig in a little bit. Yeah. So three years without surfing, basically. Yeah. Would you do right surfing off? What was going on in your head? I can see why you'd be a little bit pissy if that's the right word that you lived there. <laughs> well, it was a cool time. I, I was, I had my music and my dogs, and my skateboard. And- so you put your energy elsewhere. Yeah. But it was lonely in a way, and I, yeah. I left everything I knew. I, I don't think I wrote surfing off. I just 
there was really no way to go. And it was so foreign to me. I didn't want to bother my parents for a ride. Uh, definitely not a write-off because skateboarding was surfing and is okay. surfing, always will be. Yeah. Well, if you want to talk a little more about that age bracket, we can. Well, that was eighth grade. So that was kind of quick. And then it was straight into high school. Coast Union High School, not far from where I lived. Ninth grade. Had a couple of buddies, you know, at that time that I was going from eighth grade into high school with. But at that point, a couple of guys moved up from Newport Beach, namely the Parmenter Brothers. Oh, Joe yeah. And Dave, yeah. another friend named Craig Conklin moved up from Malibu mm -hmm. and then a host of others. So there was maybe six, seven, eight of us that met up in high school and were like, we're the surfers, you know, got my license, got an old Ford van. That was it, man. Old single fan. The Parmenters, did they know you before? No, we, no, okay. we met. I think one time my parents drove me down to Cayucas Pier one day and I think I saw them out. Okay. No, we met in high school. All right. No way we would have met before because I think they might have moved up that. I think it was 75. I'm not sure what year they moved to Cayucas, mm -hmm. which is about 15 minutes south. But we formed this band of gypsies in a sense and kind of outcasts in a way. And I was just explaining this to my family the other day because, you know, my son's super into mountain biking, not, not really, you know, ball sports and playing football and I went through that scenario where the head counselor and the football coach at Coast Union in Cambria, his son was like the star quarterback, and none of us played football. Craig Conklin, John Parmenter played, maybe John played football a little bit. I'll ask him, but they played baseball. They were pretty darn good. Okay. And Craig went on and has a career in baseball now, but we were kind of frowned upon and looked at as <laughs> losers because we didn't play football. And you guys were outsiders, I'm guessing, because you guys didn't grow up there your whole life. No, we dressed different. We talked different. We looked different. We did Southern California things. guys. Yeah, but we let it drive us. Like we took that energy and everything we saw, we heard, we did just drove us to become better surfers. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't know them prior, but we formed this relationship, you know, just priceless. Amazing. Let me ask you this. Were there no other surfers in high school that like lived there before you guys showed up? There might've been, but they were in their twenties or thirties at that okay, point. Okay. So no one but, in the high school. Itself. No, nobody else. So surfing wasn't a teenage sport or, or art or whatever you want to call it in that era. No. Okay. <laughs> there? No, yeah. not even. Okay. And we had come from that cold, you know, that it's super isolated in a way you think, wow, it's only three hours from LA and no, it's but, raw. It's yeah, out there. Yeah, and things happen where because we were surfers, because we started competing and traveling, we were kind of almost bringing things back from Southern Cal yeah. at certain times that, that were never introduced um, or wouldn't have been introduced until a later time. Basically bringing a whole different culture to that neighborhood. To, yeah, and the older guys in the area that surfed were, you know, older dudes, bearded, maybe lived on a farm and just had that really cool, like, Australian Byron Bay thing going on. And so... There's a whole another story where we, they hated us, man. Oh yeah, I bet. Oh, they hated us. We we were trying to do turns and yeah, yeah, do this and that and take waves. And so amazing time taking the great white van and loading everybody up and driving up to Willow Creek, Southern end of Big Sur, just listening music loud, 
you know, so 75, 76, 77 rolls along, free ride era. We go see that at the Vets Hall and just mind blown <laughs> start. Just, we were so amped, you know, trying this and trying that. And that we just wanted to be those uh, taking magazines. I remember Dave crossing names out and saying kook or this or that. <laughs> yeah, we just. That's funny. So we were singing We Are the Champions of the World out in the lineup by Queen, you know, and we just wanted, wanted it. Okay. Was there a surf culture in Morro Bay at the time? Which is not very far. Well, it's so funny. So we didn't really go there. We'd go to, uh, yeah, we'd go to South Jetty once in a while or this okay. cool little wave called Corners. So there was, but there was, and this brings back to another point, you know, people were probably drinking, they were probably smoking. We didn't want really anything to do with that i mean we had fun and yeah there was a group of us that would party and drive into san Luis and go to little like disco things you know once a week but it was always about surfing okay always especially once we started competing mm -hmm. and that happened for me in 78 traveled down maybe by myself to a wsa district four was uh it was Mrs. Curran's district. She ran the contest. Okay, cool. Tom's mom, so little Joe Curran running around, yeah. mischievous. Willie Morris was there. Sam George was there. I took second in the men's. Oh, That's wow, cool. Santa Clara Rivermouth. It was kind of like, wow, that was fun, and I kind of did good, and I don't know. Did I get lucky, or, well, maybe I'll keep trying. So uh, from that point, you know, we would just load the car up every weekend and drive to a contest. Pinch for pennies, scrape for change on the floor for gas. We'd sleep on the side of the road. We'd try and, you know, meet people and stay at their house, which never worked out. We'd pull into SeaWorld parking lot and, you know, try and sleep there and get woke up by the cops in the middle of the night. But we'd be so fired up and so amped. One of us would always be going home with a trophy. That's rad. One sense or another, yeah. How old are you when you get the first contest? How old are you? Well, see, that's the thing. I started 78, so I was 17. Okay. As opposed to what's going on now, these kids yeah, room. Yeah. Yeah. Different um, world. Yeah. So I became a veteran pretty quick. But you know, leading that charge, obviously, well, I took a super amateur path and would do NSSA, WSA. Dave hit success even faster before that amateur career, where he did well in one of the stubbies, I think Black's Beach. Mm -hmm. And then uh and then another stubbies he did really well in at Trestles. And the Caton, he did super well. So he what was. What team were you guys on? You guys on the uh, same team at Caton? Well, yeah, we we were on Alita. Okay. But, so that's jumping forward a little bit, but okay. But yeah, just following Dave, you know, the apex, amazing leader, and being with those guys was pretty interesting. John and Dave, a, a great rivalry, which fueled the fire as well. Um, not yeah, always brothers. Flat. Yeah, not always pleasant, but with my <laughs> my kids, the rivalry, it's different, but oh my God. So yeah, crazy and just so amped. And so I was kind of dragged along. I don't really think I had the raw ability and talent that those guys had or others, so, so well, to speak, know. in the competitive arena. But I had a head on my shoulders, which I think helped me succeed down the road. John and Dave, they surf completely different. Don't you think? Well, they're very, they're very different. Yeah, very different. But they had a house like 
you know, I block up from the beach in Cayucas. So I'd spend a lot of time there. Dave in high school at the library a lot, super studious. You can see where he gets his writing skills from. John, way more athletic and kind of into the scene. Uh, well, good stuff. But yeah, definitely athleticism and what goes with that. But yeah, very different approach on a wave as in life. I mean, they're in different places, but both big, huge hearts and, and amazing influences on cool. many of us yeah. and the world. Was Dave in the magazines at this point too? He was uh, starting to get there. I, I got a little shot at Cayucas Pier. I remember because I thought it was everything. You get a shot in the mag. It's amazing. That was everything. Yeah, it was everything. So yeah. in the back, there used to be this competitive results in the back of Surfer. And yep. it, there was a little postage stamp of me at one point. I was like, oh. That's the best. It was the best. But let me tell you, it's like a lot of things where like you're so much lead up to that. And then it's like, okay, well, yeah, it wasn't like a cover. But then, yeah, of course I wanted more. But there was always still that, well, okay. So is that really like, just like being on podcast, it's an honor and it's amazing, but what is there to life? Uh, you know, okay. the meaning of life, Monty Python, right? Yeah. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Well, let me ask um, you this. Did you feel like you finally made it when you got that little picture in the magazine? No, I probably wanted a bigger picture because maybe David had a bigger picture before that all kind of changed for us. I don't remember the year. I'm getting up there, and so I'm 63 in March. Not that I don't remember things, but a lot of chapters in life, and of course, yeah, I'd have to write it down or something. But uh, Mike Moyer, who just recently passed, wonderful, legendary, amazing human, came up. We had formed a connection with him somehow through, I think, one of the contests at the Caton or something. Cool. Came up, stayed with John and Dave, stayed for about a week or so. Uh, that's when Dave wrote a legendary article, Raiders of the Lost Coast. All right. So we all got shots in that. I had like a half page. Dave doubles page spreads. That, that felt really good. And, you know, he told the story. This writing was so good. And it wasn't just like one little snapshot, but it was more like, here is the crew. Here's what we're doing. And we are introduced to the world as a unit rather than as an individual. And at that point, you know, it was Parmy's army. We were traveling to contests together, showing up. And like I said, doing well, one of us or a number of us. Eventually, Dave would go off on the world tour and do quite well. Yeah. Yeah, amazing times. And let me backtrack to the party thing. So yeah. I think the Kate in one year, 70, probably 77, 78, Central Coast Surfboards, who I should mention as amazing support. There was Surfingware Shop. And there were Central Coast surfboards. And so one of us were sponsored by either one of them. Central Coast put a team in the Caton. We traveled down in Dave's beat-up car, Opal, and stayed with Preston Murray, Newport legend. Because Dave and John, you know, knew those guys, Preston and Danny Kwok and a host of others. So we stayed on the floor, <laughs> Preston's house right on the beach. Mm -hmm. Oh, man, it just, you know, barely sleeping and... There was some partying going on. I remember Preston was good friends with Shane Horan. Yeah. So that's where John and Shane met. They became friends. Shane had a little cassette tape. He had just come from England, I believe, a little cassette tape of the Sex Pistols. Mm. Right? 77. And I just looked up the history, you know, when did the Pistols come to the U.S., et cetera. So we ended up going back with it. We made a bootleg of that. We went back up to the Central Coast, and we tried to become punkers. 
Like, <laughs> yeah, we just loved it. It fueled our fire. I played, you know, three chords on guitar. John sang. Another guy, Craig, played drums or something. Brian Weissman, one of the crew, was uh, super good with audio. And yeah, so we just had that going. <laughs> Pretty amazing to be exposed to that from such a remote place, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, traveling down, seeing different things, just open our eyes and we just wanted more and more. So you had the competitive drive. Were you there to, to show people that you guys were there? Does that make sense? The question? Absolutely. Yeah. We felt like we had worked so hard. We had come from so far. We were so undernourished as far as whatever sponsors or media and this and that, that we just wanted it because we were still kind of the outcasts in a sense. Okay. Right. Yeah. Coming from, you know, that, that football culture of the high school and, and so forth. I'd say John and Dave grew up more in that arena because Point Doom, there really, there was one guy, Billy Barker, who I maybe did some competition, but it was more just the free ride, free surf. Hippie. Whereas Newport, you know, all the industry was there. It was starting. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Contests were there. So yeah, we wanted it and there was no holding us back. Dave takes off on tour. And now it's you and John. Do you guys become like traveling partners or do you guys separate? No, no separation. But um, so John also ventured into the pro scene before me. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So I did the NSSA, the West Coast Champions. I was West Coast Men's Champ 83 and 84, both oh, years. Cool. Yeah. And then NSSA had a thing called the non-student man um instead of their open so for any non-students so i was number one in that as well wow well made the u.s world team in 1984 wow that's when farnsworth won it gerlach was on it and a few others and interesting to know 84 was a, a olympic uh, year in los angeles summer yes. olympics so if surfing would have been in in a sense yes i would have been on that olympic team wow although we went to have had 20 people on the team yeah that's true yeah, pretty cool. Ended up standing up after the horn in the last, it was a three-stage contest. And I think in Oceanside, right there, I stood up like a split second after the horn. And then you get penalized for that back in the day. Okay. Because I was doing pretty well. And then, so I didn't make it to the grand final because, so, yeah, haunted a little bit by that. But, oh, well, who cares? Um, yeah. <laughs> so I took that amateur out, made the that world team, then did pretty good in a pro-am at churches and i think i got third behind dave and somebody else and then i was like okay not much more i can do as an amateur breakout magazine did something called class of 84 at that point mm. and so i was current was on the cover i had a spread in there i decided to turn pro in our contest i think i traveled well obviously the op pro i did at huntington never did well went to france went to england Got a fifth in France at uh, Hossegor, which at that point was a, it was a specialty event, though. Okay. And there was this guy named Gary Elkerton. Yeah. Kong. Right. And the event was sponsored by Repril. And you need to know that you're talking to one of the source losers of all time. So <laughs> <laughs> it was always the judge's fault. Never mind, right? Okay. Fair. Um, yeah. So it's like, okay, I'm doing pretty good in this contest, but here's Elko and Kong and you know Rip Curl's a sponsor. It was pretty much already out that he was going to win this event, no matter what. But I had a great time. I did well. I got this cool little trophy. I was like, okay, 
yeah, I can maybe do this. So you see Kong, he's coming up. Were you impressed by his surfing? What did you think of Kong? I was impressed by everybody surfing, but also not because I just wanted to beat them all. Perfect. And so I always pick in, and it tortures me still to this day where I'm, I'm just down at the beach and I'm picking out the bad things. And, okay. I mean, I'm appreciating the beauty and everybody's, you know, willpower and their effort, but I'm just always a critic, man. Okay. So no, I didn't like the surfing. <laughs> I like it. I like. The but idea. again, I was a puss in Hawaii, and he was charging and this and so. Okay. Yeah. No. But there were great times because the parties on the beach then. I remember Simon Anderson there just having a great time. Was, everybody was such a character, dude. And going back to being a sore loser, back then it was frowned upon, right? Okay. Now they call it passion. Yeah. <laughs> they call it passion now. Okay. Rick. <laughs> yeah. Anyhow. Yeah. I've, I'm coaching this kid up here now and. I saw him out the other day. I was, I was videoing him and the waves were pumping and he was doing great, but, and he's young and he was getting frustrated, slapping the water. And I called him in. I said, come here, man. Let me tell you a little story about this guy that I know. And I told him, I said, a lot of potential, a lot of drive, a lot of skill, all this and that, but something held him back. And I pointed at myself. I said, you know, it's great that you have all that passion, but don't let it get you know, get to you, yeah. you know, focus it, let it be energy that can push you forward. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. In this time, was it a friendly rivalry between all you surfers or was it, you know, you hated each other and you hated each other on the beach or was it in the water and that was it? Well, great question. Yeah, definitely. It's not like it is now. No, there, there was definitely some rivalries and not any controversy big time, but no, I, I was afraid of people, you know, I was afraid of Aki coming up and, you know, so that came out the wrong way. When Slater came around, we were like trying to badmouth him. And how could you do that? Right. Just because we were afraid. Okay. And you mentioned being human. So no, it's not like today, but all these great personalities. Uh, look, I did some things that I'm not super proud of once, you know, PSA contest at Malibu, a set went, went by, one guy was hassling me and I thought, well, if the set's coming by, they won't, the judges won't see me from the tower. Mm-hmm. So I kind of grabbed them. I said, don't ever fuck with me again. <laughs> That's you know, and they saw that. Okay. I got this big letter. I got a fine. I had to apologize, et cetera. Um, so no, we didn't all get along perfectly. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to ask you, you can, you can, you don't have to tell me, but who was it? Well, I think he's riding your hometown boy, Sean Madison. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. So, sorry about that. Just competitive. <laughs> That's great. <Yeah. laughs> so, 78, I, I decided to move to Hawaii for five months. My family took a cruise, I think, to Hawaii and then spent some time there and then flew back. But on that cruise, we met the Bleers family, um, Jimmy, Clinton, Lord Bleers. So, my brother earlier... Then me had decided to go over, spend some time with Laura on Maui. And so in 78, I was like, well, I'm going to move to Hawaii. Like, <laughs> okay. So I move over. They pick me up. They take me out to their little house in the cane fields. I think I buy a big seven, six single fin from a, a board maker called Mana. And I'm at Hokipa, you know, trying to get some waves, having fun, get a job at Kanapali at the Sheraton, mm-hmm. move into Lahaina, buy this old beat up VW bug and just surf all day, work at night. But 
still, I was just like, you know, something's not quite right. Like, this is awesome. But I was 17. I was a little out of my element, getting sunburned beyond belief, you know, never trunked it after full wetsuits. Yeah. Met this guy I worked with at the Sheraton named Brad Lewis, who passed pretty long ago. But he was like, dude, winter's coming. Because I moved there in the summer. He's like, winter's coming. I'm going to drag you to outer Spreckelsville. I was like, oh, shit. Uh-oh. I was like, I don't know, man. I don't, you know, I always, like, I've ridden some big waves, but never had that, that nerve, whatever it takes for those guys. So yeah, I miss my friends. I miss my buddies. I moved back. But I brought back this twin fin. That was the first twin fin on the Central Coast. I remember everybody looking at it. There's a great picture Dave has of me holding it up. And you mentioned interviewing Lance Collins. Well, I had that twin and not long after free ride came along. Lance started making twins. Everybody did central coast contracted with Lance Collins wave tools. We all got twin fins after that. Wow. These really cool fins that he made with these uh, slices in them and these channels. And so kind of cool little turning point. What are your parents thinking of, of you during this age bracket, especially living in central coast? Well, so my dad, you know, he surfed when he was younger, go into Santa Monica. He had a dental practice there, come back home, grab his trunks, grab his board, go surfing, you know, come in, have a drink, eat dinner, wake up next day, do the same thing. Great dad. Awesome. Supportive. Loving. You know, as the youngest, I think my parents were over it. Like, you know, do your thing. You're not doing drugs. You're not in jail. Like you're doing pretty good. But on the central coast, you know, I was doing pretty good in school. School was easy. I, I could get B's without even trying. Okay. Um, again, I wasn't in big trouble. They liked my friends. Yeah, the support was there, but not like they weren't Little League parents. They never went to one of my contests. Like they did go to one of the world tour stages in Ventura. Okay. Even my sister went. My mom and dad, my sister, I remember them there. Okay. So supportive, but not not there like Jamie George's dad or yeah. Chris Brown's dad or something like that. I'd always go down. My parents had a room downstairs and I'd go down and say goodnight to them. And I, you know, I waited tables, uh, worked at pizza places, was a lifeguard for a while. Then I remember one night just saying, Hey, you know, I'm going to pursue this career. And I do remember my dad kind of, buff, you know, <laughs> well, what's good in that or something like that. Huffing? So, yeah, but you know, that was it. I don't think it, continued as a conversation um so did yeah. your dad quit surfing in the central coast well yeah because he'd come from perfect rights i think i took him out once but just wasn't you know full wetsuit and rough and rugged and closed out okay he did which is interesting to me because i watch people that quit and i, I don't get it but he'd go to the beach he'd still body surf uh, san simian cove this really cool protected beautiful magical place on the central coast he'd go sit there read books and body surf and run and hang out with the dogs etc let's talk a little more about the central coast i'm basically imagining and i think you said it the surfers that were existing before were like soul surfers basically yeah now you got three competitive i won't say aggro but maybe that's the right word oh yeah super and maybe five of us some younger than dave and john and i too okay a couple of, we were like our little proteges too. So yeah. Did you change the whole scene up there? Well, is there a scene coming on? I guess, man. Dude, we had names for them. We had, you know, we had, and they weren't nice names. Um, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
of course we changed the scene up there. Okay. But not like, not like it would be changed in Southern Cal. It took time and mm -hmm. I'm sure it's way different now. Um, but yeah, there were some younger kids that would start surfing and we'd take along the contest and yeah, the crowd, the, the little pack at Cayucas Pier became way different. Wow. And then, cool. but Pismo, you know, we didn't really go much. It had a thing going on. The rock had a thing going on. And so other people started going to contests, but nothing like us, but Pismo did have a scene, Jerry Grantham as a shaper. And he had his uh, team that he'd take the events, you know, but we were rivals with them for sure. Okay. Um, Hazard Canyon, crazy, amazing wave. No secret. We'd go out there and get chased out. I'd never surf there. We surfed the left south of there. We'd go up the coast. Didn't want to be distracted from what we were doing. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, great, great question for sure. We, I'd love to hear some of those guys are my buddies now. Yeah, um, of course. One guy, Steve Haney, owner of Good Clean Fun, supported us. Probably didn't like us at the beginning, but then ended up supporting us and mentoring us. Great. That happens great. all the time in life. I yeah, think. totally. Central Coast is a lot more raw than Newport or even Point Doom. And Point Doom's yeah. kind of like the, more raw <laughs> than like Newport, but there there's some big waves up there and there's some outer reefs and stuff. Yeah. That's all got to go to Dave, man. I mean, he is on another level and was and always will be. So not that John isn't, but we we have one guy we pad, have pad up first, you know. Hey, Brian, go check it out. Okay. Um, but we were walking into new spots, forging ahead, naming spots. Yeah, rocky, probably not really rideable, uh, but yeah, scary, big, rough, rainy, lightning, poison oak, trails, kelp. Oh, yeah, huge kelp. Sea life? Um, sea life. Yeah, never to this day saw or really worried about it, except a couple places. But amazing the things I've seen Dave Parmenter do. And I wasn't always comfortable. And sometimes I didn't go out. We all have egos, right? So mm -hmm. I tried as I get older, that's easier to handle. But in, at that time, it was kind of, I was hard on myself. And I think then transitioning, like Dave did great in Hawaii. So did John. I just didn't feel comfortable around the people. And if it were just like us out there, Dave and John and I, and we could ease into it. I just didn't feel welcome. I didn't want to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. And that kind of played a big part in it for me, um, which I look at every once in a while. I kind of reflect back on like, cause uh, I worked for offshore sportswear for a year or so. And we sponsored Michael Ho. And I remember one conversation with him. I was like, Michael, I just want one of those perfect pipeline waves. Just stand up and full arch in the barrel. He's like, all right, you know, Come on, I'll get you. So, so yeah, uh, definitely big, rugged, rough, amazing, and uh, character building in a lot of ways. On that, you said Dave yeah. was at a different level, and and sometimes you wouldn't go out. Yeah. Was there pressure from Dave for you to go out, or did he understand and he knew you? Well, yeah, pressure, not necessarily verbal or physical, but I think it was there, but I I think he didn't care much because he just wanted it for himself. Okay. All right. And I'd be the guy videoing or something sometimes. And so that was great too. Yeah. Because I document it. So one thing about Dave and I is we both love photography. My dad's been an avid photographer forever. You know, we worked in yearbook together. 
So that's why he's got an amazing catalog of photos from that era. And also we got into Super 8 um, before VHS. So we we make movies together. You know, he was the main part of that, but I would film a lot. We'd edit, you know, with the little splicers and the glue. Then we turn on it, you know, Boston on the, you know, and try and synchronize it on the turntable. So, so many things going on, man. I could talk forever. And what really needs to happen is like Dogtown and Z Boys, like a documentary. Be unbelievable. And with, with him writing it, I think. Yeah, there's producers, you know, Sam George was a big part of that area. Dave and Sam were good friends for a while. And Sam and his brother lived in San Luis and worked uh, at Surf and Wear, et cetera. So it could be an amazing production. I look forward to it at some point. Is there a lot of archived footage? As you said, you were videoing and stuff. Has that stuff been put away? There is. Uh, I'm sure he has a bunch. I have a little bit, although in the you know, 40 moves that I've done. I think some has gotten lost, unfortunately. Yeah. But I think Dave's pretty much maintained it really well and has that. If you look at his website, you'll, you can see amazing. You should go to the, uh, his website and check I out will. photos. Definitely. Yeah. I'll, I'll send you a link. Um, okay, cool. But yeah, incredible times, man. Just like once in a lifetime opportunity. And so, like I said, looking back, the opportunity my parents gave me from that move is beyond everything I have to this day is because of every choice that they made. Um, although at the time it wasn't easy for me. It seems like just the, the short conversation we had about your father, when he moved up there, he kind of changed a little bit. Can he well, kind of lost surfing maybe? And yeah, but he just was in it for the sitting out there with buddies and looking at the ocean and, okay, you know, he, he would get, he wear this old hat this little uh, terry cloth hat when he surfed and he, he sewed on a little fishing bobber to the top. Okay. And he called himself part of the old man surfing association. Although at that point he wasn't old by any sense. Uh-huh. He's a hundred now and still. Oh, wow. see him. I'll see him later today. Oh, wow. Cool. You know, world war two veteran moved from New Jersey when he was six via the Panama canal with his mom who left his father. You know, he just wanted a change in life and, he would have to drive to Santa Monica. He thought the traffic was bad in 74, like from Point Doom to Santa. Right. Yeah. yeah. No. Um, I, my kids are pissed at them because they sold the dream house, like right in Point Doom, you know, for yeah. who knows, 140000 Yeah, I don't feel like it was a quitting or a giving up. I just, when I look back on my parents' life, I see at the moves that they've made, because I followed them here now, I yeah. see the moves that they've made as taking 10 years off their life new challenges new friends new beginnings i'm looking forward to something like that so okay does that answer the question yeah it does. i didn't reflect on that him stopping surfing until recently you know okay he played tennis he'd do photography he'd whittle around in his garage always moving always active always volunteering for this or that and so everything to him i think was surfing in a way he didn't I needed it, man. I You could see all my energy and I need that. Like without that grounding, without that, the ocean, I'm all fire. Without that ocean, <laughs> you know, it could, could be dangerous. Let's stop and talk about right now. And do you th- think when people lose the ocean or lose that surfing, the thing they love, is that good for you? Or? Is that good for them? Or for them, oh, I guess, the population. 
Well, I mean, anybody can add, of course not. There's many reasons people, physical health, this or that, geographical, maybe they transfer it into something else, but no, it can't be good for you. Nothing makes me feel like surfing does. That's my question. Is there anything like surfing? You know that there's not. Okay. No, I wish I could bottle it up and yeah. we could solve the world's problems with it. Um, but there's obstacles. It's a privilege. I mean, you is know, it? Absolutely, it's a privilege. Okay. How so? Well, it's not much to have a board or a piece of wood and to enter the ocean, but you have to live in proximity, even though wave pools are coming up. That's that's another story. I don't know if that's going to give you the same high and natural feeling as the ocean. And I don't really want to go down that path. Yeah. Talking about Later that, conversation. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's been a privilege for me. Look, I grew up in middle class, friggin' Point to Malibu, right above a beach. You know, we'd go to Mexico every winter. My dad built a house in Puerto Vallarta. Um, wow. Yeah. So, but he got out of that. It's been a privilege, and, but it's not for everybody. You know, my, my kids, it's cold, it's rugged. They have, I can see it in their eye. I can see the skill and the wave judgment, but it's just not that user friendly. So people yes. who live in a place that's harsh, I don't understand the quitting, but I, I know there's many reasons and people choose. Go back to 1985. So pro career, doing pretty well. Got an equal 17th at Bells. Again, Shane Horan. So the Australian circuit had three events. Well, Bells was like the Central Coast. I felt at home there. I spent a month there in 82 uh, when I was sponsored by Piping Hot Wetsuits. And I just felt like the waves suit me. I'm wearing a full wetsuit. The people understand me. I was deadly sick for that event, but just like shiver and get out of my blanket and then paddle out. And, and I did pretty well. I came back and I was like, well, okay, I should keep going. But at that point, the Pro Tour was... 600 events, whatever, not really, but, you know, it was all over the world. It was expensive. It was draining. I'd moved down to Huntington in 85. My parents moved from Cambria to Mendocino. I stuck around for a little bit. I was like, well, it's so damn good here. It's so amazing, but I've kind of got it wired and everything is in Southern Cal. So John Parmenard since moved to Huntington, I was like, well, I'm moving to Huntington, man. That's where it is. I've got to learn how to surf in a crowd. I applied for a job with Alita Wetsuits, Wayne and Fran Brown. I became their team manager and coach. At the same time, I worked for Offshore Sportswear. They weren't in conflicting with each other because yep. not every clothing company then had wetsuits. So same thing. I'd coach. I'd go scout for new talent. I'd you know, send out new clothing, go back in the warehouse and box up clothing for people. Learned a hell of a lot. And uh, that way I was... I was guaranteed a paycheck. What talent did you find? The many, many. Obviously, the, the main one would have been Lisa Anderson. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So with Alita and Offshore, if you see old photos of her, she'll have both those logos on. Wow. We ended up living together. Long story. That's a whole nother podcast okay. or this or that. Uh, but yeah, just unbelievable like that drive and that angst and that that same thing that we had she had that fire so going to contest 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 videoing videoing aggro you know sleeping eating drinking living surfing okay. surf competition shane stoneman oh yeah yep san juan capistrano san clemente grom met him at i was out on the pier at a 
event, Huntington Pier, watching this kid kind of catch the best waves and wiggle. And maybe it was Bolsa Chica, but okay. one of those places. Yeah. Came in, I said, you know, that was pretty good. You know, how you'd like to, you know, be sponsored by Alita Wetsuits. So brought him along to offshore as well. Ended up coaching a lot of people throughout the years. Mm-hmm. National team coach in 88, U.S. team coach and judge, Puerto Rico. Controversy there, but I ended up coaching Chris Brown on the side. Yeah, Bruce Walker was the coach. I ended up being a judge, but I, Chris Brown, who won the juniors that year, let me coach him. Was there a conflict of interest? Well, yeah, they eat the... the I was, who was the governing body of surfing back then? But so the East Coast and West Coast, and then they'd all go together as the world team. Yes. So Bruce Walker, great guy, great coach. He ended up being, you know, I wanted to be the coach. I don't know, whatever. Yeah. I'm not sure what happened. <laughs> I ended up judging and that was fine. But yeah, I helped Chris. In 86, I moved from offshore clothing to instinct sportswear. Mm-hmm. Sean Thompson's company. So at that point, I got to work a little bit with Barton Lynch, of course, wow. and just a great crew of surfers from all over the world. So yeah, I feel like I've done a lot. No, you have. Mike Krushank and I, probably Derek Hind, probably the beginning of that team manager coach. So are you guys saying you, you kind of invented it? Well, somebody else invented it because they hired me to do it, I guess, and they paid me. Okay, right? I got you. But I think, yeah, nowadays they're so good, these so coaches. Common. Yeah. Look, it was just intrinsic nature. Like we, John and Dave and I and Tony Foster, Chris Burke from the Central Coast, we'd all coach each other. Yeah. So it just became what we did. And we, we helped out those that wanted help and we helped out those that we wanted to help. It became a job for me and a career. And again, I couldn't rely on a paycheck through competing. And synchronicity with that came Joy Baran and the PSAA, the formation of the U.S. Pro Tour, which point I said, okay, stay home, coach these people, go to national events, spend less money, less expenses, made perfect sense. So dropped off the world tour, stayed home, did the butt tour. On the ASP world tour, it was ASP at the time, right? Correct. Okay. Yeah. Overall, how did you do? Pretty bad, but I did a fraction of the events. Okay. I think, you know, the highest I ever got was 81st. It was accumulation of points back then. Yes. You had to go to every event. And uh, I just, you know, I, now, yeah, I wish, well, whatever. It Maybe is. not. But, yeah, I, knowing what you know now, you wish you could go back and redo it, right? But You had to be burned out. I mean, it seems rough. I, Dude, I, I had talked fun, to former man. guys. I had so much fun. But, yeah, the world tour, no. We love traveling. We love checking other waves out. The events were spaced out, so we'd buy a car in Australia and drive up or down the coast between events, surfing, laughing, having fun. But I was having a blast back home as well. I was doing well yep. on the Bud Tour, always hanging out with younger people. We didn't party. You know, our party to us was going to a movie, getting pizza and an ice cream, going to sleep, and then amping the next morning, Dawn Patrol and video and coming back and watching it. Was there a, a, a separate group of surfers that did do the partying? I feel like, especially in the 80s, you guys had, uh, was there a lot? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, I was hanging out with minors, so I couldn't really take them out to all these parties. Okay. I was coaching a lot of kids, right? Yeah, that's true. And then again, not, I mean, sure, I could drink, believe me, I partied in high school enough. Okay. 
you know, but not a lot. Like, yeah, I could drink some Heineken dark and skateboard, you know, fall on my shoulder and this and that. But I was hanging out with younger people and just trying to stay focused. Never felt that comfortable at maybe coming from the Central Coast. Because we'd go into these little discos and then we'd go home to the Central Coast. Yeah, yeah. Um, less population and less, I don't know, it's just... Yeah, it wasn't Newport Beach. No, the- and I remember, I think Dave has a saying where, you know, if you don't stay out late at night, nothing bad's going to happen to you. So, true. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> the other pro surfers, the ones that I think of, because that's the stories you hear. The 80s was a wild time as a pro surfer. Come on, you got, they're right in your backyard. Todd Martin, Gluefoot, Cleet Hamilton. I mean, amazing talent, amazing humans. But yeah, I'm sure. I don't even want to know. But yeah, you know, and Tom Carroll's come out with with a book. um, Yeah. On another level, Martin Potter, those guys. Yeah. Sure, but. Wasn't your thing. That's cool. I mean, everyone goes their own path. Totally. And that's cool. So you talked about the, the Lita. You worked for yeah. Offshore. You worked for Instinct. Yeah. So we're going to go forward to today. What do you think of the surf industry today and how it's, in my opinion, it's collapsed would be the word <laughs> I'd use. Yeah. Do you have an opinion on that or do you know what's going on? I've got an opinion on everything. It's not always that <laughs> educated. I yeah, I, I live very farly removed from You everything. are so far removed from So me. I watched... The con- by the way, as a contest on. Anyways, I watch every event still live as, as much as I can. Okay. In my sense, just like with shaping, everything's been done. So there's been a collapse before. There'll be another collapse again. Yeah, it's, I can't give it a very good educated response because I read bits and pieces about it. I know, okay. you know, a lot of people are being dropped from their sponsors or they're walking away from contracts. Not the first time it happened. They're going to be fine. They're going to learn. They're going to move on. But yeah, it's, dude, it's all about money. It's all about marketing. I mean, just so is my life. I got to pay my property taxes. I got to pay the state parks, operate my kayak tours. I go to the market. I spend 10 bucks on strawberries. It's all, yeah. we're all bound by this. And that's another tangent. Like, yeah, it's just a cycle of something that I don't know. I think. The system is tweaked and that's part of it. What they're teaching kids in school, not so sure. I'm thankful for everything I've done and everywhere I've been because I've followed that passion being on the water. I might not be a pro surfer, but I'm making money on the water and changing people's lives still. The offshore, I remember when I was a kid, like offshore was the raddest brand to have trunks. Well, so was instinct. And so so was instinct. Yeah, they both and Lita. Everyone had yeah. a bright color Lita wetsuit. And again, I didn't go into these inner circle meetings or these management meetings. And I just wanted to surf. I wanted to support the surfers. Understood. I wanted to have fun. And I, I would just say, I don't know, educated guests, mismanagement of funds. I know Instinct, the owners, they started other companies. They wasn't, you know, wasn't the best thing to do. Um, cool. Yeah. Yeah, I get you. All right, I just I see these heritage brands. Well, Instinct's coming back, man. Sean's I heard. revised it. Yeah, I heard. so look for that. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's the right time. I think it's for these. I don't know if you want to it call is. it heritage brands or yeah other brands. It's the perfect time to jump in a company that run by a surfer. Yeah, is the way to go, in my opinion. And it, Instinct had this sticker that said, "Surfing is life; the rest is details." So there, there you go. go. <laughs> and they come back. All right. 
So I've been there, but I've also, yeah. So I, I was never in the circles and somebody could answer that question and know exactly what was going on and why it's, I yeah, know, from an outside nothing. perspective, it's sad. Yeah, in my opinion. again, I just want to go have fun. And- then again, surfing is it corporate? At the end of the day, you just want to get in the water, right? My opinion, once again. Well, people need to live. They need to eat. They need need a roof over their head. That's um, true too. But how much roof do we need over our head, and how many choices of food do we need? So good point. <laughs> simplify, simplify, simplify. But not that easy to do. Easy to say. With that being said. Since you brought up food and stuff. So are you a vegan? <laughs> I think you label yourself. Okay. You are a vegan? Should I stay that? How do you, how do you, uh, well, so I think I'm going on nine or 10 years of plant-based, although I do eat a few eggs. Okay. Now, now and then, a All little right. bit of goat cheese. I ended up marrying a gal from Chile. I traveled to Chile in 2001, my first trip. Mm-hmm. After like five months, she moved here. Mm-hmm. And I think we all became vegans after she watched these videos and just felt it was the right thing to do probably nine or so years ago. All right. Now, my, my daughter is 12 now. You know, I was eating some meat. Mm-hmm. My son's eating some chicken, some salmon. So why did you become vegan? I guess the movie changed your attitude towards meat consumption? Well, I watched Cowspiracy. I've, I've always, my love of surfing and my love of animals I moved up to Mendo. Surf industry took a dump in 90. Instinct failed. I moved back to the Central Coast, moved out to this ranch and started a shaping room in a barn. Mm-hmm. Started shaping. That lasted about two years. Epic times. Yeah. Moved up here. My mom sent me a flyer about a marine science program at this little college up here. Yes. Moved up here in 92, College of the Redwoods, entered this course, this professor named Greg Grantham. There was like 10 of us in the course and took every class that that place had to offer in biology, marine biology, birds, mammals, so cool. you name it. And just learned so much about fish and mammals that when I go out free diving and I'd have my spear looking at this fish, I was like, well, you have a swim bladder and you have these crazy otoliths in your ears and you've adapted through all these challenges and you're 30 years old. I'm not going to shoot you. So that kind of started even with taking out red abalone up here, mm-hmm. which were just prolific, but I just never felt right. Just taking that life for a little bit of a meal. Okay. That's- and then, yeah, I think I watched Cowspiracy, learned about the detriment of animal agriculture to, to our planet, which is pretty unique and special. Back then it wasn't like now you can get, I just made my kid breakfast sausage in the morning. That was like mind blowing. So like tastes like sausage. So back then, you, you know, you didn't have all these cheeses, all these yeah. so-called meats. I don't know. I philosophical, uh, ethical, health wise too. The, there's a lot of uh, information showing how good it is. Okay. And my, my labs, my charts have been amazing. Oh, it's made you healthier. Well, I don't know. Probably. Okay. Best <laughs> guess is yes. I feel good, man, and I cool. You know, I'm pretty active. I mean, it's gloomy and wet, and I'll probably go out and do something. But yeah, I can keep up with a 15 year old on a mountain bike. That's rad. Yeah. Well, we should talk about getting older and aging, but I think the plant based thing has has helped, and there's so much knowledge out there about protein, and if you just supplement a couple of vitamins here and there, you're pretty solid. You also work for Patagonia too, right? Yeah, that's big chapter. Thank you. Uh, 
So I graduated that marine science program. Yeah. In 94, there was an internship that you had to serve with somebody to get your certificate, your degree, so to speak. So I ended up, I loved seals and dolphins and whales from the beginning. Greg, the professor, got me an internship with Marine Mammal Center out of Seattle, part of NOAA Fisheries. Oh, okay. So I went up to Seattle for a whole month of July, worked in this laboratory going through northern fur seal shit, scat, Mm. picking out food particles, uh, squid beaks, and little inner ear bones of what they would eat. Okay. In a lab, you know, a month in a lab, uh, the guy who headed that up was so impressed. We hit it off. He was like, you got to come next year and do the, uh, the field work with us up in Alaska in the Pribilof islands. So I was like, that sounds good. Is, are there waves there? I said, well, actually I'm an old surfer from Ventura. I think there's waves there, but I don't have a board or wetsuit. I said, look, if we can surf, I'll bring you a board and wetsuit and cool. I'd love to come on it. So next July, I went up to the Pribilof Islands, two little islands in the Bering Sea. Bud Antonellis is his name. Great guy. He's now on Oahu doing some really cool things. But we finished that month long of doing the population estimates, hiking these islands, counting seals, looking at the dead ones, etc. I saw all kinds of waves. He's like, we got to finish the science before we can surf. Mm. It's like, okay, man, you get the first wave. So next day came that, you know, the program had ended, went out to this cool little beach break, break in the clouds, little rainbow, but caught the first wave and really cool. Wow. And then went to a little point break the next day. But at that point, yes, Patagonia was wanting to start, long answer, sorry. Patagonia wanted to break into that surf industry. Dave was married to Rel's son at the time. Yes. She was friends with the owners of Patagonia, Yvonne and Melinda. Uh, Dave said, well, why don't you, you know, maybe you should apply for this job. Check it out. I was like, oh, okay. So I think I applied while I was up there in the Pribilofs. At the same time, I was applying for my undergraduate degree at UC Santa Cruz Mm -hmm. because they had an amazing program on dolphins. I wanted to uh, study dolphins. And I came back from the Pribilofs and went down to Ventura for a final interview. It was between myself and Tyler Calloway. You know Tyler probably. Okay, I know the name, yeah. Yeah, um, FCS fans and yep. great surfer. Came down to us too. I interviewed, had to write this, I forget, the sample project. Dave helped me on that. Ended up getting that job and then moved to Ventura the day I was supposed to start UC Santa Cruz. Oh, wow. Yeah, Patagonia. Um what a shock. <laughs> yeah. Lot to learn, man. What do you mean, lot to learn? Well, big culture, big corporation, amazing. But uh, I spent many, many hours, many days and months just learning the ins of out of how that company works. Culturally-wise? Uh, yeah, culturally. Also, who to work. I had to develop some surf products and take their offering of what they had and develop a surf, so-called surf line. Bring it to the market, work with designers, work with advertising, work with the catalog people, and then load up my van and go on the road with it, go to shops that wanted to carry it. Wow. $30, yeah, 30 bucks a t-shirt or this or that price, which there was nothing of that quality in a surf shop. No, no, no. And they had standards. Patagonia was like, well, the surf shop has some merchandise like this. It's got to have a staff that wants to learn. You've got to clinic them. Like. 
the small surf shops did that. They were just starting to. So it was full on, but amazing. Oh, totally sounds amazing. Do you have to knock on a lot of doors and do you get denied a lot? <laughs> oh, yeah, I got denied. I come back with my tail between my legs all the time. They're like, well, how come we aren't doing this or doing that? Like, well, you know, we, we have to sponsor people or we have to give away some product. They're like, uh, we cannot put anybody that we know on our catalog and we cannot, you cannot give a t shirt away. It's like, uh, okay. So it was new, new territory for a surf, so-called surf company. Well, yeah, they, their roots are in the mountains. Of course, Yvonne, you know, yes. surfs when he wasn't climbing. You know, yeah. in the winter months when he couldn't climb, he'd go back. Everybody knows the story. He'd build gear and surf Ventura yeah. and, and so forth. So, yes, a surf company, but not a surf company. And right. it's my job to make them that. Mm-hmm. But there were rules. There were people that had been working there for 20 plus years who were set in their ways and said, Patagonia doesn't do this. We don't play by those rules. We don't market that way. We don't have that kind of product. I was very close with Yvonne and learned so, so much. I had a great time too, traveling to the Maldives, traveling to Indonesia, wow. testing boards, testing gear, but at the same time, very, very challenging. I'd say you know, throughout all these times we've talked about, there's been a little bit of an insecure Craig self, yeah, right? And that human, you got to remember John and Dave, blonde, tall, godlike, amazing talent. And there was, you know, I just didn't feel the same. Mm. Probably still don't, although I'll, I'm fine with it now. But I felt out of my league with Patagonia in a lot of ways. Mm. Okay. And with that pressure... And that insecurity wasn't always easy to make the right decision based on my own opinion of where the business should go. So yeah, pretty interesting, but amazing, amazing people that I met and relationships I formed and skills that I developed Wow, as well. Yeah. But I become a snob too with clothing. You know, now I go turn clothing inside out when my wife's buying it for my kids or something. Once again, outside perspective. Yeah. I remember Patagonia getting like to the wetsuits and they were, Way higher price than everything else, the Rip Curls or the O'Neills and stuff. But the quality was known as being much better. Yeah. Well, that's their thing. And their their warranty, you know, it's lifetime warranty. Yeah. The wetsuits came later. We started with a pair of board shorts, a couple of t-shirts with an oval logo. Back then, it was the oval logo everybody had one, you know. I was like, yeah. okay. So, and then I take their fleece garments and everything worked perfect for a surfer. Right? Yes. But yes, they were pricey. So, how were we going to convince the surf public or the surf buyer, surf consumer to spend on the Patagonia piece instead of the Quicksilver. If we couldn't educate them about quality, that's why I had to work with the staff in the shops. Yes. And so they would have the presentation and the knowledge to know why they're spending extra 10 or 15 or 20 bucks. So I, I believe you were successful because it's, (laughs) I don't know if I think I might've paved the way. You paved the way then. Okay. There you I, go. And, and let me tell you, I think I paved the way in many things, although I don't get credit. I'm not really looking for it, but yeah, just always a different way of looking at things and a little bit rebellious mm-hmm. and somehow in the right place at the right time. I was talking to Shane Stoneman the other day because he had this beard way before it was cool to have a beard and mm-hmm. I had Patagonia sponsor him. You know, I used to make movies. Um, of the central coast and there's some amazing footage and the soundtracks aren't legal, but 
these movies didn't go anywhere, but I made movies before the Malloys and did this before that person or did that before that person. Whatever. doesn't matter. So we touched on this, the coaching, the Patagonia, I can actually see, I mean, I'm, we're talking about it. Yeah. And then, so yeah, you are so a video production. You did video production. Well, I think I might've showed one of those to Yvonne at the time, but it didn't, it wasn't trendy at that time. There, that was the beginning of the technology. I think it was like 2000 or something where I just had an early computer and I was editing on Adobe Premiere early, you know, platform. And yeah, it wasn't, they didn't think, oh, we'll start a movie company and we'll produce all these movies about all these cool ambassadors that we have. Yeah. Um, which happened later, Okay, which is great. Yeah. So they, yes, they have adapted. They started their own stores. I helped them open their first flagship store in Haleiwa. Yeah. Yeah. So we just thought, you know, it's better to just go direct. Let's have our own thing. We can tell our own stories. We could smart. train our own staff. That's yeah. smart. So cool. We'll see from an outside perspective. I don't look, I wear everything. I still love how Quicksilver board shorts fit. Yeah. I love Quicksilver from, I know I have this feeling about Quicksilver from the free ride days, MR and those guys wearing the, scallop leg board shorts you know that feeling will never go away so i associate quicksilver with that and that time of life so no problem wearing it right on (laughs) you you touched on shaping it we'll touch on that real quick how did you get into shaping and did you enjoy it and do you still shape so obviously spending a lot of time in the shaping room with shapers so dave went with canyon which was rusty at the time yeah john forget who John went with some Huntington beach shapers. I worked with a guy named Rich Reed out of Santa Barbara. He had what was called Spindrift, and he had done some shaping. He and Al Merrick know each other real well. Yeah. Uh, Bob Hawkinson had the glass shop where channel islands and Spindrift was really Bob's uh, brand. And so I spent a lot of time in the shaping room. And I think Dave and I would strip down some boards. Dave shaped before me, but I remember doing one. I still have it in my garage. It's hanging up. I think I did one in 85 and, and took it down to Hawkinson to glass uh, and just messed around with it. And then when I lived in Huntington, Costa Mesa with Greg Mungle, a legendary Mungle who had a glass shop and fin company, we would shape some boards in like 24 hours. I'd get him a big gold from 7-Eleven. <laughs> We'd make a board in 24, man. Wow. You know, epoxy light, stringerless. I'd make one for Shane that he'd ride in the Irvine wave pool. So just kind of tempting into it a little bit. Okay. But never until I moved back to the Central Coast in 90, then I tried to market it as uh, Sand Dollar Surfboard, one of my favorite beaches in the world, Sand Dollar Beach. Yeah, it's a rad beach. So, yeah. And then shapes by Buddha. So yeah, I had a Dave gave me a nickname called Buddha Head. Okay, because of that giant afro. Yes, <laughs> right. I hated Buddha Head for a long time, <laughs> and then it just became Buddha Rock and Fig on the on the microphone. There goes Buddha up and riding, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, it kind of stuck. Um, so shapes by Buddha, sandal surfboards. Sold some on the Central Coast when I moved here in '92 for that college little stint. Uh, shaped some for some guys out of Point Arena and locals on Mendocino Coast. I liked it, but I just, again, never, just that finish work, man. I never felt 
I had some magic boards, but they just weren't pretty and perfect. Right. Yeah. And it was all hand at that time. Right. Mm-hmm. Every, everything. So yeah, I still do a couple here and there. Oh, cool. uh, would love to do more, but there's no blanks sold here. There's no glasser here. Yeah. I'm not glass in a surfboard. It'd be a, it'd burn up or melt. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, there's some out there and it's a fun stage and a fun uh, little story. And I, I loved it. And we'll still do some. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I think to be well-rounded, that's how much I love the act of riding waves or the sport or what have you. I just want to experience all of it. Of and, course. And share all of that too. Yeah. Um, yeah. You're like an amateur forecaster. Are you checking the charts and? Uh, oh, surfwise. Yeah, surfwise. Oh, did I say that? Huh. I don't know. I read it somewhere, so I wrote it down. Okay. Well, no, I would consider. <laughs> look, everybody back in the day, we we look at the LA Times and the, the yeah, satellite the map, right? David going to the library in high school and you know cut out the satellite map. These giant Aleutian lows. Okay. And so I learned about that then and. A little bit, so we know what to expect and where to go. We only had one board at the time, so it's not like, oh, what board are we going to take? <laughs> yeah, that's right. True. That's true. So, yeah, I learned more about meteorology and that studying up here when I moved here. And on the central coast, I listened to the box, you know, the weather radio, okay, and the the buoy, the, the NOAA radio, a bit of radio. Yeah, yeah, this little box, a little button you push. Um, yeah. Now you can look online, etc. But I just wanted to know where to go. I I'd even write down, I think three times a day, the outer buoys around here and what they were doing. Because here you got to drive a bit, like to go to a couple breaks. And I just don't want to drive all day. Yeah, it's just to know what's going on uh, with my current kayak business in my season. Oh, yeah. I like to, yeah, I like to watch the winds. I like to watch the swells, although it's pretty spot on. You know, I don't want surf to happen during my kayak season. And it typically doesn't. Yeah. But yeah, I, I look three or four times a day at the forecast and the buoys and this and that. Music. So you have a couple of songs <laughs> that you can find on your website. <laughs> I like yeah. it. All right. Uh, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, that that's interesting because right now, look, I've got a lot of time. My business operates kind of May through okay. October, if I'm lucky. I had this guitar when I was a kid. I don't know what happened to it. Obviously, I wish I still had it. I've always loved music. I, I know every song on the radio from back in the day and classic rock and this and that. So I kind of just dabbled with guitar playing for many years. Mm-hmm. And there's some frustration in that. Like, why am I stuck? And why am I not playing with people? And, you know, why am I not this or that? I love it. Um, I, I love songwriting. Mm-hmm. I feel a lot of like I have a lot to share and to say. But, you know, every surfer has a guitar nowadays and writes songs and I've got time and I'm not done yet, man. I'm cool. I'm still, still going down that road and going to explore that a little bit more. Yeah. It, if you're having fun. Yeah. I, fun's what it's all about. Yeah, 100%. Like healthy. Got to have fun. Not that everything's fun and easy. Right. I'm raising two kids in Northern California. So have you ever thought about doing like a little coffee shop show or anything? <laughs> yeah. I think I'm afraid, man. Uh, I have okay. done it. My son plays guitar and he's amazing lead and like, it's just like, wow, how the frick, like he's, his blues are like, he's this old black dude somewhere. Okay. That's I love playing with him. So we played a few, although now he's getting a little shy, he's 15, but 
I think we're going to get out there a little bit more. Awesome. We, we played this tiny little festival here in a town called Casper. Wow. Yeah, there were like eight, there were like 10 or 12 people watching us, but that's cool. <laughs> that's so yeah. Cool. The, the desires there, it, it feels good. It's fun. It's challenging. Do you feel like you accomplished something just standing in front of those 12 people? It's just the fear factor. I get the fear. I, I think, I don't know if I could do it, but. That was with my boy. So it was pretty special. Yeah. Um, yeah, it is. It's look, I've always liked being a performer, like growing up in Cambria, which was another tourist destination. I remember being out in the water and there were tourists walking on the beach. I was like, I want to give these people a show. I don't want like my ego to feel better than, Oh, they saw me. I want them to feel the stoke, the joy, the freedom that I get from that ride. And so there's a desire in me to share that message and to share that through everything that I do. Let's go way backwards again. Just real quick yeah. to answer this question. When you were surfing heats, were you there as a performer or were you there to, I don't know what else you'd be for your ego. I don't know. Yeah. That's interesting. I kind of swallowed when you said that. Well, then you've got pressure on you from, from sponsors for paychecks, five people up there, not, not wanting to, they're, you're not trying to give them that same stoke or joy. Of course, like good ride is a good ride mm -hmm. and they're going to write you a better score if they feel better mm -hmm. and you entertain them. So yes and no, because there was that ego part of it and that pressure uh, and that nerve and just, and that timer clicking down. Yeah. Okay. And now I'm up against another timer clicking down, which is time and age. Okay. And that's a that's another subject, but it's very interesting to me right now and how to deal with ego and the body and like, you know, expectations. And it's a huge part of my being right now. We're going deep, but I mean, it was <laughs> I be a long, this is a long interview. So just go for yeah. it. I want to hear if you could, Maybe sum it up a little bit, but yeah, go for it. Yeah, no, we don't, we don't need much time because I, okay, it might be something I need to write about or write a song about. Look, we all, we all get older. Yes. We're all going to have challenges or ups and downs, like, like a wave, like a storm that comes and goes. Uh, how do we deal with that? How do we operate out there in the public? How do we uh, treat ourselves and the others around us? Uh, I don't think we have much choice except to learn and to grow and to do it gracefully. Not that I'm pulling that off every moment of the day, no. every day, every month, every year. It's possible. But, but you know, it's short. Like time flies, man. Talking about all those times and all those years and all those chapters in life. It's like, wow. Um, and I have perspective because I have parents that are still around. Yeah. My dad. Dad just turned 100. My mom's turning 91 soon. And wow. So I see what aging does, although they're doing great. But it's just like when I walk out here, it's like, ah, I remember that same feeling when my grandfather got old. I was like, I'm going to go live, man. I'm out there. I want to feel good. I want to be free. I want to, I want to experience. And so, yeah, I, I don't have it figured out, but I know that uh, it's short and it's precious and somehow we've got to find the meaning in, in everyday things and little things and as hard as they could be sometimes. It's pretty good words. I like that. Yeah. 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 I, and I don't know if any of us will figure it out ever. No. I think that's the part of life, figuring it out. 
you're right. It is, it is beautiful. And if we tried to, maybe we shouldn't be trying so hard, Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, human interesting experience. (laughs) Your kayak business. So yeah, a couple things about that. First off, how did you get into that? And I don't know. It's a, it's something so rad. Like people are, like you said, they're driving three hours just to go and have a weekend just, and it's, a chapter in their life that they'll remember forever, especially if they don't get out of town very often. Yeah. Thanks for saying that. It is. So I got into it. Um, I think I started kayaking with Dave and this legendary uh, kind of father figure, Jeff Chamberlain mm-hmm. on the central coast. Yep. We'd strap on boards and camping gear and paddle the waves, man, and camp out. And Wow. Great, great time. Yeah. So, so funny. I tell my clients, I got into kayaking to get away from people. And yes. here I am taking 20 or 30 at a time. So it's just being on the water, sharing the knowledge and the stoke and opening others' eyes or allowing them to feel comfortable to open their eyes to experiencing something so grand and precious as the ocean. So yeah, it's look, every surf that I've been out on every person that I've met has led me to have this amazing business. Mm-hmm. Although I wish it was year round, man. Winters, winters drive me crazy. Mm, okay, <laughs> it's a special thing. My kids go to work with me. They're super dialed on the knowledge, the the routes, the conditions. Um, really amazing that I have this opportunity. That's right. Yeah, and does it help with your your marine science background? You can point things out and show people like huge. I, I retain so much of that knowledge because I, yeah, I talk about it every day during the summer. Mm -hmm. And, uh, if I were a biologist, you know, I wouldn't be making the money that I make and wouldn't be having as much fun that I have. And, uh, yeah, absolutely. So are these coves protective? So I'm interested in that, like keeping away from the surf. Like you said, you want to keep away from the surf. Yeah. There's no surf and it gets real small up here in the summer. It's, windy a little bit out of the northwest mm-hmm. like anywhere there's these offshore rock formations called sea stacks okay. and there's these headlands like these points okay. that stick out and so we go through these caves and tunnels and wrap around these little channels yeah i watched the video it's sick yeah so it is designed by nature perfectly like i could not have even imagined i started working for a guy that had the business in 92 93 94 when i lived here mm-hmm. and then when I moved up here in 2000, I worked for him a bit. I was still on the road for Patagonia, but he would go through health issues, et cetera. And eventually it was just like, dude, I'll sell you my business. And I was like, perfect. Wow. I'm on it. Took it to another level and here I am. Okay. So, yeah. So you have this marine science background, but you also have this surfing background. Obviously you have a love for the ocean and you've been all over the world. Is there anywhere else you would like to live? Or do you think this is home and this is where I'm at? <laughs> no, thank you. Uh, like my parents, like I mentioned, they moved a couple times. Yes, Mal- Malibu, Cambria, Mendocino. Yes, I've I've seen it revive them. Um, although I'm not going north. No, no, too cold. <laughs> um, met my wife in Chile. Fell in love in Chile with the people, the place, the long that point. Like and yeah, I'd love to live down there a bit. Parts of Europe. I just think life shouldn't be in one place uh, for too long, although it's a great home. It's safe. It's quiet. It's healthy. But I'm craving at this stage in life other things, even more population, Mm -hmm. making new friends, reinventing myself, certain parts of myself. 
No, this isn't it. Okay. But replicate this somewhere and the good things about it, pretty tricky. Maybe Portugal, maybe Chile. Mm. Um, I love that question because part of me doesn't feel really at home. Um, I got used to being on the road so much, you surfing so much through Patagonia work, et cetera, that I just am antsy sometimes. You know, the grass is always greener, right? But I'm old enough to know about that. I just think there's so much to learn from other people in other places. Well, my kids experience that too because they crave it as well. I'm not going to lie. I'm surprised by your answer, but that's cool. Really? I love it. Yeah. Well, if you lived here and maybe like 10 other guys, I mean, there was a great group of folks that surf around here, but like for the last two weeks, it's been unsurfable. So I haven't seen them and hung out with them. Yeah. Um, I get that. And we all have, we all have like two acres or three acres and we're spread out. And yeah. It's a, really a different culture and different scene. So. Yes. Cause I, maybe I'm looking at it from my perspective of Southern California. I would love to be where you're at. Yeah. Well, we did Thanksgiving a couple years ago on Oceanside and I just walked and scored perfect ways. We walked on the boardwalk, but yeah, I didn't want to drive anywhere. Central coast, probably still my tribe is probably there. Okay. Um, maybe I'm not so understood up here, but that there's all kinds of other reasons for that. You know, the <laughs> weed industry, not being part of the weed industry and okay, yeah, really, really interesting. All kinds of yeah, cool stuff. I, I talk fast too. So thanks for listening. <laughs> no, no, no. Okay. So we're going to end this with this. How is the surf up there? And, are you guys welcoming to outsiders? Me, I love outsiders, man. I will give away any. There are no secrets anymore, and okay. I'd love to see anybody. I think for the most part, yes. Uh, the surf is intense and rugged and extremely inconsistent and pretty average, mm-hmm. um, but beautiful and majestic, bumpy, tricky, cold. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's a good challenge. Okay. But, you know, there's always swell. It's just like, okay, was, can we find somewhere that doesn't have any swell? Yeah. Um, but then there's no, the sandbars, super long answer. The currents don't get a certain way. It's kind of a weird wasteland for surf. Whereas like Sonoma County, probably better. Humboldt County, probably better. It's just, it's so raw and rough and rugged. You've got the San Andreas Fault that comes right out through Point Arena that mm-hmm. changes everything. And we're oriented directly onto the wind and the swell and <laughs> pretty right. crazy place, man. What kind of board yeah. are you riding right now? I've got, um, what's your go to quiver, I guess. That's funny. I've got a few that I found on Craigslist from a guy in Lucadia. There's, there's custom Machados. One's a uh, huh. seaside and one's a, the seaside six, four. Okay. Seaside and beyond seven footer epoxy, not firewire technology, but, I do have a flat earth, the 6.2 from Firewire, Slater, uh, Aquila Ipa. So I'm going to be 63 in March. I think I'm going to allow myself to go to like a 6.3. Yeah, you're riding short boards. <laughs> I'm trying, man. Wow, that's um, cool. And how often are you surfing? Well, I know the weather goes, is bad and stuff, but like yeah, average. Right now, it's one or twice a week. Um, we, had, we had pretty darn good fall where I would get out every day. Wow, okay. Um, yeah, there was so it's got to be small and clean, and then it's still like six to eight foot on the face. Wow, that's I mean, that's big. Yeah, it's on average through the winter, it's you know, 10 to 15 foot every day. How many guys out with you or gals? Well, we're not, there's no more to surf on those days. Okay, four to six is a crowd, 
if it's more than that, you know, it's all friendly and fun. And one more stupid question, I swear, but I do no stupid questions. I do believe in this, but you're you're kind of in the area where I believe there could be a population. Bigfoot. What do you think of Bigfoot? I love it. Um, Yeah, my wife's brother is just visiting. He just found out about Bigfoot. We just found out. He just yeah, he's from Chile, Santiago. He just came here. I thought everyone knew, but go ahead. I knew about. He just didn't know we were. In the country. Yeah, the, what do I think about? I'm not walking around in those forests at night, man. Okay. I've watched those documentaries. I know what movies can do and angles and perspectives. Something's out there. There. Okay. I like right it. now, we're watching with my son. We're watching X-Files at night. I never watched it before. That's good. And uh, unbelievable. And yeah, the truth is out there and there's something out there. And... <laughs> That's a whole nother rabbit hole. But. Okay. I, okay. I'm going to wrap this up, but hold on. Yeah. So you're watching X-Files and it's, and I can't think of his name right now, but I know his name. Oh, Chris Carter. Carter. Yeah. Are you friends with Chris? I'm not, but obviously should be. I think Sam George is. And yeah, I love the fact that he is who he is and he's done what he's done. And I'm really impressed. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I got to interview that guy. Is he still serving? I wonder if he still serves. Well, that'll answer the question that we talked about earlier, and you can find out why, if not. Okay, there you go. <laughs> Craig Coleman, thank you so much for coming on the Quivercast, man. I'm super stoked. I had so much fun. Yeah, that was fun. And uh, great questions. And, man, I, I know I talk a lot, but I'm excited and uh, talk fast. But that was super cool. All right, everybody. This is uh, Mike and Craig, and we are out of here. Thank you. Thank Ciao. you. You right. go left, I go right. Man, this wave is out of sight. Going surfing, going surfing, going surfing with friends. Ride this wave to the shore. Paddle out, I'm gonna catch ten more. Going surfing, going surfing, going surfing with friends. Care if it's wrong or right, I'm gonna do, do it all day. I'm gonna do it all night. I'm going surfing, guys endless summer box set this thing is legit it's authentic numbered certificate in it it has a five frame film strip from the original print you will literally own a piece of history it has a specially minted bronze medallion dude that thing's sick okay there's so much more here go to the show notes there's a link on there Go check this piece of history out. This thing's rad. Seriously. Smithsonian American History Museum has it. It took four years of research with 3.5 in production. All hand assembled. This thing's rad.
so much to this awesome box set. Remastered DVD, sharper images than the original film, but dude, this thing's so sick. Link in the show notes.